Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today's Friday, October 23rd, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on, we're in the doctor's opinion on page XXX. Today's readers are for the 12 steps. Uh, let me see, did I do anything wrong? Okay, the uh, 12 Steps, Lisa H., The 12 Traditions, Barbara K. And our readers for the text today are Michelle H., Iris G., and Kathleen W. The share ID, which is a four-digit number, for yesterday, Thursday, October 22nd, is 2000, <laughs> 2015, is eight. One three eight. That's eighty one thirty eight. The OA preamble: Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I will now ask Lisa H. to please read the 12 Steps. Good morning. This is Lisa H., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Memphis, Tennessee. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us 
and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Lisa H. I will now ask Barbara Kay, please, to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. Barbara Kay, Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, all readers anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, all readers anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you for letting me read. Everyone have a beautiful afternoon day. I pass. And thank you, Barbara Kay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page XXX. And the first reader will begin reading the second paragraph, beginning the classification of alcoholics. I will now ask Michelle H. to please begin reading. Good 
Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle H. Recovered, compulsive overeater in St. Louis, Missouri. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without uh, change, with <clears throat> without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been, by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And and I'm really taken by by these um, paragraphs, and, you know, it takes me back to, um, um, you know, when this message um, of of truth was embraced by me. And, um, you know, this is the doctor's opinion. You know, we're talking about step one here. And um, when I was reading this about the types, I was thinking, you know, I've been all these types. You know, I've been the person, I've been the compulsive overeater who said, you know, I'm, this is my last binge. You know, tomorrow it's going to be different. You know, I'm, I'm making that promise to myself. I'm swearing off. Um, and then I've been the type that, you know, for many, many years was went unwilling to admit, you know, that's what was happening with me. I was in denial. I was unwilling to admit that I couldn't um, take even one bite. I was trying to be a normal eater. Um, that's what I was. That was what my belief was that I wasn't as bad as everybody else, and I think it was kind of a Freudian slip when I said that he could take a drink or take a, a bite without change, because it's really the word is danger. But what happens is there is a change that happens in me when I take that first bite, and it is that phenomenon of craving. And there's a change in me that doesn't happen in the normal eater. I have found, and it wasn't until I embraced that fact that I am different. My body is different. I am I'm not a normal eater. There is a change that occurs in me when I ingest my alcoholic foods. It um it creates this craving where I want more and more and more. And there is never enough. There's never enough until I'm just um so bloated and so into oblivion that um I, I you know, I fall asleep or I just I can't keep eating. And um you know, it was about five years. It was five years ago, uh, today, when I I entered a big book retreat, and this message came alive for me, and I really did hear the words. The only relief for me that is suggested is entire abstinence. That the food substances have to die 100 percent. 
100%, that is the only answer for me. And I finally admitted that I am of the type that I I can't have one bite. It has to be entire absence. That allergy is going to be set up in me, and it's going to happen every single time. And um, I may have appeared normal on the outside in every other respect, friendly, um, have some intelligence, and um, able-bodied. But um, on the inside, that body was quite different once I took that bite. And I tried different, different things to prove that I wasn't. I tried different brands. You know, if I couldn't eat sugar and white flour, well, how about, how about artificial sugar? How about instead of white flour, I try rice flour? I tried all those things. And it wasn't until I reached that point of desperation when I, I couldn't keep going and there was, there was no, no hope for me. I felt completely hopeless uh, that I was willing to embrace this and say, yes, this is me, that delusion that I will someday be able to control and enjoy these foods was finally smashed. And that, that was the beginning of a new beginning for me. And um, I didn't want to admit that my body was I'm abnormal, <clears throat> um, but that was the day that when I finally admitted that it became a turning point. Thanks, Janice. I'll pass. Oh, and thank you so much, Michelle H. Okay, at this time, who would like to comment for approximately three minutes on what was read? This is Bella, can I say? Okay, I hear Bella. Larry. And Larry, I hear. Yeah, next. Marcella. Marcella, okay. And one more. Kathy Kay. Kathy Kay, that sounds good. Okay, Bella, please go ahead. Is it Bella G? Yes. Okay, Bella, please go ahead. Good, thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Janice, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow. When I read those paragraphs, I say to myself, yes, it's me, it's me. I was there. And yes, I came so many times to a decision Okay, that's it. I will eat only this time, and that's it, and no more. And But I never could keep my promise. And the hope, the solution, the relief was, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Wow, such a wonderful feeling of freedom to be able to say, well, I accept and admit that I am powerless. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with my smartness, with my being a good or bad person. By nothing, it means if I am a social or not, it means one thing, that I have an allergy in the body, and this is the way God created me. And... Thank you, God, that I came into the program, and now, for me, this is the freedom, this is the solution, this is the relief, to be abstinent and to accept that I am powerless, I am human, and I am powerless, and I have an allergy in the body, and as soon as I eat those alcoholic food for me, I have, I, I, I just cannot stop. And it's such a hope, and it's such a great solution to be able to say it's nothing to do with me. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. 
And thank you, Bella G. Larry K., you're up. Press star one to unmute. Uh, thanks, Janice. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, thank you for your service. Larry K., recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. So here we're given uh, classifications, and, and this is um, really critical, really critical to, um, to identify just what we are. You know, it's, um, you know, if we cannot identify, you know, that what we are, uh, <clears throat> then we're not going to seek a solution to that problem. And so that's why the classification is critically important to me. And, you know, part of it, too, you know, just sticking with the classification of the alcoholic, um, you know, can be difficult. You know, we, we have to see, you know, where we are here, and it'll give us uh, further, further ways to diagnose ourselves. Um, and, and, and part of this for me and my experience is, you know, is, is many in the, in the psychological and psychiatric community, they advocate the belief that one does not have to, um, you know, one does not have to, uh, you know, uh, subscribe to entire abstinence. And they reject the, the AA, some, some reject the AA model of strict abstinence as the sole form of recovery for alcohol and other forms of addiction. And in fact, you know, some believe that even to label someone as an alcoholic will somehow be harmful, you know, because they'll see themselves. Um, and you know, they'll see themselves that way and it'll be self-perpetuating. See, I do not subscribe to that because for me, you know, getting very honest and identifying in with the fact that I am indeed a compulsive overeater, that I cannot stay stopped, that I have this twofold nature of the disease, doesn't mean that I reject, you know, other forms of help. Because, you know, for the normal person, I would tell you that, you know, changing the way we think, you know, a cognitive behavioral approach. Maybe they even, they even talk about, they even identify, like rather than an alcoholic, they'll, they'll call it um, alcohol abuse disorder. And, you know, that gives, the, that has the implication that, you know, that you just need to be taught how to, uh, how to drink like a normal person. You have to be given techniques more control over this. If we just give you the proper control over this, you're going to figure this out and we'll help you to figure it out. And, you know, for the normal person who just is overindulging, that would work. That wouldn't work for me. I got to tell you that not, not me. Um, you could teach me. I, I tried all those things. I needed the proper classification because once I had the proper classification on who I was, then, of course, I knew that the only solution was entire abstinence and that I would, I later learned that I would have to have a complete psychic change in order for this obsession to be driven out. So I don't want to give short shrift to this, this area of classification. I know others will talk about it in more depth, but um, I got to really take this seriously on am I, what is my classification? Um, and that was critically important. Otherwise, I would never see this process through. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Larry Kay. Okay, Marcella, it is your turn. Good morning, Janice. Uh, my name is Marcella. I'm a recovered composer over here. So excited with the notion that a week from today I'll see you live. Um, so the classification of the alcoholics, I've been thinking of suggesting Leah got as a topic for a Sunday morning discussion, the classification of alcoholics, 
I know by studying these um, these chapters, the doctor's opinion, that I'm the real alcoholic, the hopeless alcoholic, the alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Because once I start eating um, the foods and and practicing the food behaviors that are alcoholic to me, I can't stop and I lose all control. I eat against my will. I eat against. My, I, I eat without my permission. Um, I just want to mention briefly that when I heard entire um, abstinence gives me relief, I felt a little excited, but I just wanted to say one word about withdrawal. As soon as I put the food down, I felt worse, not better, because I had to go through withdrawal. So the relief is not immediate. I have to be willing to go through a period of extreme discomfort because I will be physically withdrawing from um, from the substances that are highly allergic to me, and I've seen it in myself and in other people. It's real. People get headaches and joint pains, and I got dizzy spells, um, insomnia. I had like, like, I would start sobbing uncontrollably, and, and because I have seen, I have witnessed withdrawal from other substances in AA, um, I could recognize that as withdrawal symptoms for from my, my substances. But the other thing that I briefly want to mention is that if we read um, the book as a whole, there are two kinds of alcoholics, the ones that are sober and the ones that are not. And um, there are many, many uh, Sunday panels that describe what's the meaning of entire abstinence. And the warning in the next paragraph that as soon as we suggest this entire wasness, there is a huge debate. And that's what makes a vision for you so special and so such a jewel in the in the in the field of of recovery because um, for the rest of the chapters we can get it in any AA big book meeting it's it's the same program there are another twelve steps the the motions of the wheel and the and the development of the spiritual experience is identical to any other act what makes a vision for you so pertinent to us is that by studying this chapter and these paragraphs one by one we get to know with total certainty what is the meaning of entire abstinence to me. Once I know what's the meaning of entire abstinence to me, I can do two things. Keep my eyes on my food and nobody else's so that I don't start a huge debate and practice the rest of the program. And I don't need to substitute anything because now I know how to abstain from alcohol my alcoholic foods and food behaviors. And with that, I'll Thank you so much, Marcella. Kathy Kay, it's your turn. Hi, this is Kathy Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you, Janice, for your service. And um, I can't, you know, I'm amazed how many times over the last uh, 10 years I read this page and continued up until um, four years ago to deny the fact that I was um, truly an alcoholic with food. I was one of those, um, the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. And that's why for many years I had six months of abstinence, a year of abstinence, two years of abstinence, but I would always get to a point where I felt 
so good about my abstinence. I thought, well, just this once, um, I can try one of my red light or yellow light foods without impunity, and that just wasn't so. Um, as I've said before, for me, the real uh, obstacle was always that because I didn't have a lot of weight to lose, I thought I wasn't really an alcoholic with food, and that just is not the case. Uh, I'm so grateful that through continuous study of this book, I have deepened my acceptance of my disease, and I give it the reverence and respect that it requires in order for me to live in recovery. And with that, I pass. Well, thank you, Kathy Kay. Okay, is there anyone else who would like to comment on what was read? Lois M. Yeah, okay, Lois M. Anyone else? Vasa O. Vasa O. Anyone else? Leah. Leah M. Anyone else after Leah? Leah. Oh, I heard two people. Mm, Paula D. Okay, Paula. And who was the other one? And Lynn S. Okay, we'll go with those. Paula D. Lynn S. Let's start with Lois M. Please go ahead, Lois. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Lois M. in uh, Massachusetts, recovered and thankful for for that today. And um, that, you know, there's so much that we read this morning that I too, like like some of you and many of you, have been all of those. Uh, descriptive types and and at many different times each one of those has appeared has applied to me except um you know the the uh, manic depressive type thank you god but um what 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 I what I really relate with is is um I I was I really relate closely with um God, the, the guy that dances in front of the cars. I forget that term again. But I, I was like a tap dancer through this. I didn't, I didn't really have the, um, the, the information that I needed. I was, I didn't know that I was powerless. But I also had, I had been disconnected from my thinking, and it wasn't as though I thought I could do. You know, I, I was dancing back and forth, dancing as fast as I can. I say, you know. Eating, not eating, um, thinking I've got it made now, and then without even having a thought or a desire, I didn't even know if I had a craving. You know, I would just pick up the food again, and it was as if I was in a trance, like I was sleeping, and and all of a sudden I'd wake up full of, you know, guilt, remorse, and shame, and and um, you know, hide out for a while like the man in the barn, and um, and and I just just was this disease, you know, took over my whole life. Uh, little by little, you know, I, there was very little left of me, the woman I was, the, the values I had and my and my goals and my family and, and my relationships. Relationship with alcohol, uh, with food became, you know, the, the most important thing in my life. And, of course, it was creating, you know, misery and torture for me mentally and physically as well. And, you know, it, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And to be on, on the recovered side here is such a, a blessing. You know, and, and I, I like the, the previous speaker said, you know, I have such gratitude and respect for the power of this disease that, you know, I I thank you, God, 
treasure, you know, the fact that I was able to be led into the light, the sunlight somewhere, and, and I learned, you know, that I was powerless over this disease, and I, I did get that message. The best thing that I did personally, the only thing I did right, was to persevere and to keep coming and to keep trying and to keep connected in, in many ways, even though I wasn't really truly connected. I was always listening and searching and to be uh, to be to be relieved of this uh, disease. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you for the opportunity to share today. Well, thank you so much, Lois. Let's see. Vasa O, please. Yes, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Janice, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful recover, recovering compulsive overeater from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And this is just a beautiful paragraph. Um, it's the... I didn't know what was the matter with me. I really did not know until somebody introduced me to OA um, um, many years ago. And, uh, you know, identif- the identif- identifications, you know, I could identify with those people. And I remember feeling, I'm not alone. I, you know, I've done all these things that they are doing or they have done it. And uh, my own cl- classification was that I was real compulsive overeater, and I was in step one. I was powerless over the food, and uh, I did not understand about the allergy. I learned I had the allergy that followed with a mental obsession, and I needed to abstain 100% from my own, from the alcoholic foods. And again, I, you know, before coming to program, I experimented uh, with all the kind of foods, being on a diet, to eat, not to eat, to cut the calories in half. I played with the food, you know, for years and years. I mean, I could have been, I can be a nutritionist, you know. Today, you know, I could have gone to school, but I could not keep the food down. To me, it was just a, a, you know, just to learn about the allergy was amazing and putting those foods down, and just to deal with life and life problems with ha- with not having those alcoholic foods in my life was very difficult the first time going through the withdrawals. And even though I was abstinent, I wanted I'm the mental obsession. I wanted to go back. I want to go back. But I learned no matter what, no matter what, run to God, you know, ask for help, stay immersed with the twelve steps, you know, keep in touch with people that are. We're recovering, they were, you know, that had been working the steps before me. Pick up the phone. I tried to use all the tools that were there. And it's amazing how, you know, doing all those things would get me through one day at a time, one, one meal at a time. And it's by the grace of God, you know, my life is so much better in every area, you know. And, uh, you know, again, you know, the food was number one, just the step one I meant to say. And I needed to work the rest of the steps, you know, uh, for the rest of my life. You know, there's no graduation. Thank you. And I pass for letting me share. And thank you, Vasa O. Okay, Leah M., please. Thank you very much, Janice. Uh, The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. You know, uh, this doctor's opinion, when it was brought to life, you know, I got an education about this aspect of my disease, that I have this allergy of the body. You know, I am bodily different 
from most people pertaining to food. You know, that is my reality. And it's been that way for a long time. And I have to refrain from compulsive overeating. I have to be in a state of food sobriety. That's what someone like me needs to have, a state of food sobriety, entire abstinence. I have to be as sober with my food as an alcoholic is with alcohol. And there can be no middle ground for someone like me. There can be no compromises for someone like me because otherwise I trigger that phenomenon of craving and, I'm, of course, I'm condemned uh, to eat more and more and more and more. And remember, craving is after I've ingested uh, that substance because the only way I can crave uh, for, is by first putting that substance in my system. So that was something I needed to accept. You know, that was something I needed to accept. And, of course, the big book spends a little time here on the classifications, but the bottom line is one thing that every one of us would do if we're real compulsive overeaters is once we ingested a bite of our individual binge foods, we'd start looking for another and another and another. You know, it triggers that phenomenon of craving. And sure, it's easier for an alcoholic to identify the substances that causes their allergy. You know, for the alcoholic, it's alcohol in any form, whether it's in wine or whether it's in, you know, beer or liquor. Uh, but for the compulsive overeater, we can all differ in the kinds of substances that cause the craving. But that is my reality. And so I had to... Uh, you know, go through an identification process, an analysis based on my personal history of what those substances were so that I could entirely abstain from the foods that trigger me physically. Because for me, any amount of binge foods in my body was like taking a match and just throwing it into a bucket of gasoline, whoosh, because I cannot safely eat them or use them in any form at all. And I have to stay alert to it because the truth is for someone like me that my allergy has found new ways to talk. There are certain foods uh, that I was, you know, ingesting in recent years that used to not be stimulating to me but are stimulating to my body at this point in time. So I have to uh, eliminate those foods. So I have to stay alert that my body, you know, perhaps uh, is stimulated by foods that it used to not be stimulated by, you know, and I certainly can't eat foods that are too sexy. Um, so anyway, that's my reality, and thank God for it. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Leah M. Okay, Paula D., you're up. Press 1 to unmute. Good morning, Janice, and thank you for your service today. And this would be Paula D. today, a recovered Recovered compulsive reader with and by the grace of God. And as we come into this paragraph and we read the ones preceding and we see a battle being fought here and in many ways. And the thing is, we didn't have the mind in the, in, in the body. They came together against us at this time. But look at what happens. All these and many others have one symptom in common. Here's where we come together. Here's why we are all on the line. We have something in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. How do I know that? Because I tried. And as this book uses, the, I love the way it always has an adjective describing over and over and over again. That's how long I tried. 
But then it goes on, and I went on. And if you go on with this disease, it'll take you only to one place, and that you know. But this recovery takes you to many places to be this place of recovered. Uh, now, I'm going to come here. It sets them apart as a distinct entity. Well, I wanted to be set apart, but not in this way. Oh, today, look at the change in the mind. And we read that line, on the other hand. So here we are, on the other hand. And this the life, the life that can be lived. It has never been by any treatment, from which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. Oh, now here's the line, the only relief. You mean there's relief here? You mean that sigh that I used to take? I take no more. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Ah, they put entire again. They're very clever with their words. The words with the deed fully concede. Mm-hmm. Total surrender. All comes together, doesn't it? Entire abstinence, and I don't know what yours is for your body. But I know what mine is. That's all I have to know. I don't have to know yours. I don't have to wonder why. How come she? How come you're five seven and I'm not? I don't wonder that. It just is. It just is. And with that surrender, the battle is won. And I thank you for allowing me this time. And with that, I do pass. And thank you, Paula D. Lynn S. It is your turn. Hi, this is Lynn S., a compulsive reader in recovery from Toronto, Canada. Whenever I hear this particular message, it really touches me. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity, it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. I will never forget when I first heard that message and all those years of trying to stop eating and stopping eating and I lost my first 100 pounds at 16 and up and down and up and down and the remorse and the wailing and the decisions and you know all this stuff in order to lose weight, finally ending up 140 pounds overweight and totally defeated but not even defeated, it was worse than that. It was the, you know, the, the remorse and the frothy emotional trials and just even to the point of thinking I must be a multiple personality because you couldn't want to put the food down so badly. You couldn't want to be thin as much as I wanted to be thin. You couldn't want to be with people. But if somebody phoned and invited you out, you know, I'm, I'll never forget lying in bed Somebody's on the phone saying, come on out with us, and I'm lying there, and I've got the bed full of food, and I'm wanting so much to be with them, but I cannot leave the food in the bed. I just can't do it. To hear this description of what's wrong with me gave me so much hope. I thought, oh, my God, it's not my fault, and there is hope. I will never be cured of this, but I can recover. I am so so grateful to be in recovery, and with that, I pass. Well, thank you, Lynn S. Yes, I've just been reminded that I I missed uh, Renata G. and Helena R. 
Renata G., are you still with us? Okay. How about Helena R.? Press 1 to unmute. All right. Well, let me open it up. Um, is there anyone? Hi, Nancy Ara. Nancy. Kim G. Right. Wait a minute now. Uh, before Kim G was who? Nancy Ara. Nancy Ara. Okay, Nancy. Let's have Nancy, and then we'll have Kim G. And whom else? Sharon H. Anita J. And then we'll have Sharon H. And we'll have Anita J. Let's go with them right now. Please go ahead. Nancy. Hi, thank you. My name is Nancy Aura. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I want to talk on the sentence that said, they are often able, intelligent, friendly people. And that described me. You know, I was, uh, I had been, I, I was successful academically. I, uh, I did quite well in my profession. And uh, I was friendly. I am a friendly person. And uh, I have found in, in the rooms of uh, OVUs Anonymous some of the most intelligent people that I've ever encountered. And what did that get me? What did all the intelligence and the uh, uh, academic successes, none of that was able to conquer this disease, you know? And... Uh, it was the one thing that I just could not do anything about. Uh, I had been able to to scale some real high, overcome a lot of discrimination, and and boy, uh, none of that, none of that, this disease was the was my true Achilles heel. And but I today I recognize I'm a real compulsive overeater. I used to see a lady say that. Uh, Start all of her shares with that. I'm a real compulsive reader, and today that's what I I understand what she meant. Now, uh, there's no doubt I am a real compulsive reader. I cannot control my food. No matter what I do, the food always wins. But you know, thanks be unto my higher power that today, you know, I have freedom. Today I am free from the bondages of this disease. Um, uh, This book, you guys gave me the information that I needed. People in these rooms and this book told me if I put down the substance and that if I was willing to do, follow the directions, that I would become free. And today I can proudly acclaim I am free. Um, I moderate a regular OA meeting online, and uh, it's interesting. A lot of the callers are disturbed by the term recovery, you know, but uh, all I do is read what the book says. You know, the stories of thousands of men and women who have recovered, even the OA 12 and 12 says this is a program of recovery. So today I shout I'm grateful to be among those who have recovered. It is possible, provided I keep a simple attitude and follow the directions. Thank you for letting me share. And I look forward to meeting and seeing many of you next weekend. Thanks for letting me share. And thank you again, Nancy, for sharing. Okay, good morning, Kim G. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. 
I'll have to tell you what my little compulsive overeater brain says. Look, the word suggest is three away from the word absence, so they must mean that absence is suggested. But if we read the whole sentence, it says the only relief, the only suggestion they have to not trigger the allergy is to not ingest those foods that trigger the allergy. And I can't even tell you how many times I've taken someone through the doctor's opinion and say, okay, do you get it? And they're like, yes, yes, I get it. And I say, okay, are you willing to put down your foods 100% so we can embark on this program of recovery? And they're like, are you serious? Oh, come on. I just need to be a little bit more abstinent than I was last time. And they are serious. And often for me, I have to look at something I don't have a problem with because the problem that, I, that when I see suggest next to abstinence and I don't get it is not because I have a physical allergy. It's because I have a mental obsession that warps my mind to look at the words that way. So if someone is allergic to shrimp and they can't have shrimp in any form, do I think there's insanity in that? Absolutely not. They just have to abstain 100% from shrimp. But what about the person I go out to eat with and they start this conversation about, you know what, I'm from Jersey. Maybe it's just shrimp from the Atlantic Ocean. Maybe it's just shrimp from Maine and Louisiana. Maybe if I had shrimp from California, because that's from the Pacific Ocean, maybe I can have that. Or maybe it's just a U.S. thing. Maybe if I have shrimp from India in the Indian Ocean and it's an international shrimp, I'll be okay. Or you know what, they have this seafood bisque on the menu. And maybe if the shrimp is diluted enough, it's only a little bit of shrimp and the rest of it is the clams and the scallops, maybe then I'll have it. You've got to look at that person like they're crazy. Why would you risk that? Why would you think that shrimp from, from Jersey versus California is different? But isn't that what I do with the food? Isn't that why I say entire abstinence? Maybe I can have the whole grain. Maybe I can have this form. Maybe I can manipulate it so that I can have my binge food. That is why I'm insane. Yes, I have to be 100% abstinent, but the reason that I convince myself I can't do that is because I have this mental obsession that's always going to convince me. So I have to be 100% abstinent, but the only way I'm going to stay stopped is if I take this program of recovery, which will allow me to see the words only relief in this sentence that doesn't just include the words suggest and abstinence. And I'm just going to end with this. We see the word entire abstinence, which means we have to be 100% food sober. The page before, we, we read about the entire psychic change, which means we have to go through all 12 steps in order, sober, in order to be free. And just ask yourself this morning, how free do you want to be? And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. Okay, Sharon H., it's your turn. Just please press style. Thank you, Janice, and thank you for your service. This is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Denver, Colorado, by the grace of God. And I <clears throat> just wanted to read this paragraph again because it's the one that hit home. And I have on the side of this paragraph facts based in truth and reality. <clears throat> All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been, by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. 
And I am just so grateful to be here today, and I'm so grateful that I heard these same words uh, back in July of 2012 when we were in the doctor's opinion. And I, I was amazed that I had missed this completely. You know, I just did not connect the dots when it came to the food. And I struggled for years getting absent and then falling off, getting absent, falling off. And what I came to understand by God's grace and a flashlight going on in this head of mine was I have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and that's it. That's it. Am I willing to accept that? And am I willing to see the truth there and the reality of that? And for the first time I did. And then I held on to this book like I'd never held on to it for many, many years. I went through the process of the steps because the obsession of the mind has always been a part of my life to one degree or another. And then I also have that physical allergy. And this is the solution in order to experience being set free and free from the bondage of food addiction, both in my mind and in my body. And for that, I'm internally grateful to this program, OA Vision for You, and this big book. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Janice. And thank you so much, Sharon H. Anita J., it is your turn. Ah, Thank you very much. Uh, this is Anita J., a recovered compulsive overeater, down on Cape Cod this morning. It doesn't matter where I am, I relate. I now relate to all these paragraphs. And I realize, looking back over all the decades I've been in this program and before, I was heavily invested in staring at those psychological classifications of people um, wanting desperately to be the able, intelligent, friendly person. And um, now that reminds me of um, like like a puppy. I'm I'm looking for a friendly, intelligent little puppy. I mean, that that is what I wanted to be. And I just realized uh, eventually through these steps in the last two years, you don't play that part. This is your role now. You're not going to be looking more like your mother and end up in, in a mental institution. You don't play intelligent friendly. You take you 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 become you become that kind of person. And the irony is, I I needed to keep reading. Stop stop read stop stop your reading. A little bit later, Anita, look at the next paragraph. There are the others, and you are in that classification of other, Anita. You cannot stop eating without developing the phenomenon of craving. Over and over, day after day, it was there somewhere in the book talking about not, you know, a week apart or a a month apart, but it's a day apart it became. And... um, that I'd never become normal. That was the paragraph. And isn't that fantastic that now I embrace it. And by embracing it, it, be, it entered me into the rest of the book. And I didn't have to play the part of a, of a normal, intelligent, friendly person. I became it as long as I keep 
reading the book and living it. And with that, I pass. And thank you so much, Anita J. Okay, we have time for like two, two more two-and-a-half-minute chairs, if possible. Anyone want to take it? Anyone else would like to comment on what was read? Press star one to unmute. Helena, may I share? Lindsay. Okay, we have Helena. This is Gail P. Uh oh. Um, Gail, maybe we're going to have to wait till the next hour. But we'll okay. So please, thank you, thank you. We have Helena, and I heard someone else. I forgot. Already. Lindsay. Lindsay. Okay, Helena, and then Lindsay, right? Please go ahead, Helena. Good morning. This is Helena, recovered in South Jersey. Um, I am struck that by the fact that this is being written by a medical professional, not by an alcoholic. And the truth that the medical profession can see looking at us, uh, pretty amazing. I need to uh, sit up and pay attention. And I hear all the different classifications and some of these are medical terms and psychiatric terms, in particular the manic depressive. And uh, sometimes when we put down the food, uh, these things resolve. And sometimes they don't. What was so exciting for the medical profession from some of the other readings I've had, uh, especially in the, when AA comes of age at the convention 20 years after the founding of AA, the medical profession was so excited because now all the techniques that they've been trying to help people who are mentally ill um, and weren't going anywhere. Once they put down the food and started working the steps, then the psychiatrist was able to help him. And uh, I find that very interesting for me. I want to think that as soon as I put down the food and start working the steps and become recovered, that I'm perfect, but I'm not. I may have some of these mental issues left still. But now, through the grace of God, and uh, God can work with me the psychiatrist can work with me. The medical person can work with me. And uh, for the psychiatrist, that was the miracle of AA. Yes. And thank you, Helena, for sharing. And Lindsay, you'll be our last share for this morning, for today. Hello, this is Lindsay, very grateful, compulsive overeater on the road to being recovered in New Hampshire. Um, what jumped out at me is, is two things there. First of all, uh, you know, the only relief we have is not to ingest. And as a chronic relapser who's been in the rooms many, many years, um, it became clear to me the more willing I was to um, know that I didn't have the solution and I wouldn't find it in a box or a bag or, the, you know, the freezer. Um, I also began to learn more and more about how um, if I was truly, truly going to become a recovered person, I would, um, and this is from listening to other people on this, on this uh, line, and I've heard many people talk about the more they, I think one of the things that scared me is that when I actually did start to feel like I was working the program, I noticed that other addictions would drop up, would, would pop up. And when I truly then addressed those with the program, that's when all of a sudden these other foods would creep in and all of a sudden I would be, oh my gosh, and I have to give up that, and I have to give up that. And I became angry and I became uh, belligerent and I became defiant. And I said to myself, well, that's ridiculous. I'll never be able to eat anything. And that was a lie that I taught myself. You know, as a certain person on the line always says to me, there's always two voices, and one of them is always wrong. And so 
all right, so what I've discovered in my, my new, fragile, beautiful um, abstinence is that um, there are more more foods that become problematic. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because I, I mean, the fact that, that I would even be willing to give up flour and sugar is, 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 is you know, such a miracle. And it gave me such freedom. And what happens is maybe my food choices become smaller. But if there's anybody out there thinking, you know, how could I ever do that? What happens is the food that is on my plate is simpler and it tastes better. It's more delicious. And yes, like the speaker said on Sunday, I'm not having a party in my mouth. But I don't do well with parties like that. And I have to look at every situation, every little addiction that I turn to. If it's just way too much fun, if that food is way too sexy, it goes. But then all of a sudden I have a new appreciation for the simple, the beautiful flavors. And we are living in a world we are so lucky that we can eat salad in December. We can get whatever we want. We are very lucky we have these meetings. And with that, I will pass. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay from New Hampshire. Okay, it is that time, and I want to thank everyone, everyone who has shared Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Our book is meant to be suggestive only if you want to know that. Iris J. Hi, this is Iris G., Recover Compulsive Reader from New York. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.